Well, thank you everybody for joining us once again here uh, at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. We have a great Explaining the Faith talk for you today, one that everybody is going to be able to relate to. You all have had questions about this. I get a lot of letters, good letters, asking, Father, please help explain what is the charismatic renewal and the baptism of the Holy Spirit slain in the spirit, talking in tongues. Are we required to do this? Do we need to do it? Is it good to do it? Is it dangerous? What do we need to know about the charismatic renewal? So we're grateful to you to join us here on our Mercy for Souls conference here at the National Shrine. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to open our hearts to receive your grace, the grace you wish to bestow, the grace to lead us all here, here at the shrine, watching online to eternal life. And Mother Mary, as the spouse of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you walk with us to show us what God's will is in our life. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. It's already been, Father Dan just finished his conference. I'm looking forward to telling you a little bit about what I've learned over the years in the charismatic renewal. There's some great priests involved in this. Uh, our own Father Anthony does a lot of work here for the diocese in charge of it. But we also have priests out there like Father Ripperger, who I really respect, who warns us about a lot of dangers. And so what do we need to know? So to help educate myself, I did extensive discussions with Father Thaddeus, who has experience in this area, uh, Chris Sparks, our theologian. So I was up all night putting this together. I actually, no, it's not true. I went to bed at three. I got up at 5.50. So if my eyes again are bloodshot, I got these colored glasses, these uh, blue blockers, so hopefully you won't see the red. But today again, the topic is the charismatic renewal. What do we need to know? What do we need to do? Let's go to our first slide. The scriptures tell us that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So as you can see the first slide right there, that's Romans 5.5. 5. Now, let's go to our second slide. This is the reading from Titus. God saved us, not because of any works or righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's why today we're talking about the charismatic renewal. <clears throat> so this began actually in the 1910s. So over a hundred years ago, it began in California. Uh, an African-American pastor began with small groups meeting in private homes to call upon the Holy Spirit like they did at Pentecost. 
said, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. I don't think they made that prayer. That's a more Catholic prayer. But this is really the beginning. Now, this is now the Protestant Pentecostal church. Have you heard of the church called the Pentecostal church? This is how it started. Now, they're known for their belief in talking in tongues, healing shows. You know, my mom used to love Neil Diamond. And Neil Diamond used to have this song called Hot August Nights or August, Hot August Nights or something like that. But it was Brother Love's Travel and Salvation Show. And it talked about these tent revivals where this preacher would walk in with eyes black as coal. And I, I thought of Father Dan, who just did his talk here. And, and they would have these tent revivals. And these were not Catholic, but they were, you know, they were good people. They were invoking the Holy Spirit. And that song Neil Diamond wrote about, I used to remember listening to it as a kid because my mom loved Neil Diamond. And that's what the Pentecostal revival was. Now, with this is good people, but we got to be careful because they're very anti-Catholic, the Pentecostal movement. Now, the Catholics then, 60 years later, decided they were going to participate. So the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, or CCR, that's another group that my mom loved. Uh, uh, so this was a 60s group, but anyway, no, just kidding. The Catholic Charismatic Renewal started in February of 1967. Now, how it started was there was a retreat at Duquesne University, you may know, in the Pittsburgh area. And so this retreat was held in Pittsburgh, and the kids there began to pray throughout the weekend. Now they pleaded with God to provide them the opportunity to experience the same grace of the Holy Spirit that they had at their baptism and their confirmation. Now, the little drawback here is you don't get baptized twice. So this is not a sacrament when we talk about baptize me in the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about a sacrament. You only get baptized once. Now, they started calling on the Holy Spirit, and they had a life-changing encounter with God. It was a good thing. And it became known as, as I just said, baptism in the spirit. Now, these events of that weekend and the Holy Spirit's presence spread across the whole country. Everybody heard about this. And this experience of this charismatic movement began to spread around the United States. It started going into churches and other Catholic institutions. And so all of a sudden now, these groups started forming. These organized groups were created. So then in the middle of the 1970s, and, and, and some of you may remember this, it became a big thing. These charismatic conferences started to be held. In fact, at one at Notre Dame, University of Notre Dame, 30,000 people showed up. So this became big. So the church in Rome started to look at this and said, hey, what's going on here? So the church became interested in this renewal. And so the, the leaders of this movement then had meetings with Paul VI, 
in the mid-70s, then John Paul II. Now, a number then of bishops' conferences, like in the U.S., we have the USCCB, the United States Conference of College Bishops. Well, each country has their own. These different nations, the conferences of bishops, started to support it. And so they submitted pastoral letters saying, we're in favor of this. Now, for Catholics, this came right after Vatican II. Now, for some, that's not a good thing. Because it's looked at as part of the problem of Vatican II, the loss of reverence. Instead of being on your knees in silence, you're dancing around with a guitar and drums. Now, I'm not criticizing this. I, I'm I literally not trying to take a middle of the road, but I, I truly see positives and negatives. I'm going to share them both with you. Right now, there's over 100 million people around the world that are part of this movement. It, it started to catch fire. Now, I'm going to show you a quick video. If you're at home, you can watch this. If you're here in our crowd, you can see this later. We'll have it up on YouTube. This gives the roots and the story of how the charismatic movement began. Let us watch. In 1967, on February 17, 1967, just two years after the Second Vatican Council, a group of students in the United States participated in a spiritual retreat. The experience they had there was the beginning of what is now known as the Charismatic Movement. Today it is one of the largest growing Catholic movements amid an increasingly agnostic world, and there are over 120 million in the movement. They experienced the personal love of Jesus and just an overwhelming sense of um, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The charismatic renewal starts from the bottom, from the testimony of some young students, and reaches all corners of the world to more than 200 countries. The center of the Catholic charismatic renewal is the Holy Spirit. Their goal is to recreate the experience the apostles had at Pentecost. Their style has not always been well accepted, but popes such as Paul VI, John Paul II, and Benedict XVI have all met with them. Their musicality did not go unnoticed by Jorge Mario Bergoglio when he was in Buenos Aires. In 2014, he personally told them what kind of impression they had left on him. E io dicevo di loro, ma sembrano una scuola do samba. Non, non condividevo il loro modo di pregare e le tante cose nuove che avvenivano nella Chiesa. Dopo ho cominciato a conoscerli e alla fine ho capito il bene che il rinnovamento carismatico fa alla Chiesa. The charismatic movement is not necessarily of Catholic origin. It was born in the early 20th century in the United States by African-American Methodist pastor William J. Seymour. Between 1906 and 1915, he led the so-called revival of Auza Street. These meetings were considered the beginnings of the charismatic movement that we know today. As such, the charismatic renewal is one of the most active movements in the ecumenical field. Okay, so thank you for watching that quick clip. That is how the whole movement began, um, this charismatic movement. Now, in 2018, the Catholic Church instituted a new 
unified service for this renewal. And they call it, let's look at our next slide, CHARIS, C-H-A-R-I-S. That's an acronym for Catholic Charismatic, Charismatic Renewal International Service. So there is kind of a group. Now the Pope wanted this, that those in the Charismatic Renewal and in the whole church would know that they're not separate from the church. The charismatic renewal belongs fully to the universal church and not to them. You are not your own. I just read that book by Fulton Sheen, The Priest is Not His Own. Oh my. You don't have to be a priest to read it. If you want to know what the priesthood means, if you don't respect the priesthood, if you don't understand the priesthood, please read The Priest is Not His Own by Fulton Sheen. It's life-changing. So anyway, there is not, however, a single cohesive global movement known as the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. There's not a unified leadership. Unlike many other movements, it does not have a single founder or a single leader. There are no membership directories. There are no costs. It's very, it's much just a bunch of separate groups of people, organizations, activities, prayer groups, schools, faith-sharing groups, parishes, conferences, retreats, ministries, all independent of one another. Nonetheless, they all share the same fundamental experience. What is that? The same objective, which is to call upon the Holy Spirit, which I, you've heard my talks, what's wrong with the world today right now is we're not calling on the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, I'm in favor of that. How we do it is what I'll talk about in a moment. We have to build up the church to serve the church in various ministries, clerical or lay, laity. So that to give testimony to Christ, um, Basically, these are all the things that was at Pentecost. This is basically what happened to the apostles at Pentecost. So let's go to our next slide. They usually prefer certain worship styles. Here you see the famous group of people waving their arms, slain in the spirit. Whoa. That can be good. Not if you're an actor don't need that. It just draws attention to yourself. I just watched tons of videos on this. I watched Father Mark Goring. You know I love Father Mark Goring. And he says, some people just like falling down. <laughs> so it's one thing if you truly are slain in the Spirit. It's another to look around to see who's watching you fall down. Okay? Be careful of that. All right? So basically they have their own styles, songs, but even pastoral strategies, which you got to be careful, rather than following a set standard like we have in the church. So at the heart of this renewal is the call to an encounter, a personal encounter with Jesus, and an ongoing discipleship through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that is good. This is good. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, though, serves as basically this unifying principle of the whole charismatic movement. Be careful, though, you're not baptized twice. This is not sacramental. You are already baptized. So let's go to our next slide. Although many have been baptized in the Spirit, so there's our slide. What is baptism of the Holy Spirit? 
Many have done that outside of any official seminar. Many people have a life-altering outpouring of the Holy Spirit that occurs in these planned seminars called Life in the Spirit. I bet you've heard of this. If you've ever heard Life in the Spirit, that's where they do the baptism in the Spirit. So what is baptism in the Holy Spirit? Okay, there's a great article. I, I usually, I do a lot of work with, uh, on Catholic Answers. They're a great resource. Father Hugh Barber was there, and he basically said, this expression, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, is used in this charismatic renewal to refer to an experience of intensified awareness of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. A good, again, good. It's stirring up the gifts that one has received at baptism and confirmation. I bet many of you watching have let the gifts you got at baptism and confirmation start to go cold. Okay? You remember your fruits and your gifts? If you don't, I got talks on them on this YouTube channel. What are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? What are the gifts? Now, <clears throat> this is to restore that, to get the Holy Spirit active in your life, activate these gifts. You ever get a subscription to your Netflix or whatever? It says activate. You got to go onto some website and, and type in slash activate. And so now, the Holy Spirit, you, you don't have to follow all this live streaming stuff. Well, I shouldn't say that because you're watching live streaming now. <laughs> but you need the Holy Spirit to activate you to activate your gifts. So the presence and power of the Holy Spirit can, can happen in different ways. Okay, your body reaction can be different. So the use of the word baptism, though, can be misunderstood. Again, because it's not a sacrament. All right, rather, it is this awareness of the life given to us Christians through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Baptism and confirmation. Get your sacraments. So there is, okay, here's a good question. Is there an obligation to do the charismatic renewal and to follow it? No, there is no obligation to do this baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's no obligation. Some in the Eastern churches have gone so far as to say that the understanding of baptism in the Holy Spirit is incorrect. And what is needed in the church is just constant prayer of the heart. Okay? <clears throat> they said that's the real baptism in the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to go on. <clears throat> now let's get to some of these concerns. Because talking with Father Thaddeus last night, he's got some great experience. I went through all these with him. And again, we explained that this comes from the Pentecostal church. That's the first concern because in any non-Catholic Protestant faith, there is no authority. The authority given by Christ in the forming of the church in Matthew 16, 18 comes through the magisterium, through the chair of Peter. All of the 40,000 other churches that broke away have scripture. One leg of the stool, but they don't have the magisterium. They don't have sacred tradition. This is the same thing that we got from the Jews. It's important. So they don't have an authority. That's why they're all splintered. There's no centralized authority that represents God, even in our broken humanity. 
The other problem is they're very anti-Catholic. Um, some of these videos online, I'm just shaking my head. Um, my goodness. I wish I had time to respond to them all. So anyway, exorcists have told us, including Father Ripperger, that without an authority, without following a church authority, you're free game for the evil one. The bishop is the one who is to discern the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charisms of the Spirit. The bishop, the parish, your spiritual director, your priest. The problem is many have a self-focus when it comes to gifts and charisms. Oh, Father, I have the gifts of levitation. I float up in my bedroom every night at 9 o'clock. You may think you do, but until your bishop has discerned that charism with you and how to use it, you're free game for the evil one. The charism is not about you. The charism is not about you. The charism is for the use of, the, the use of God, by God, for the good of others. The second I hear I, I, me, me, I'm like, eh. People who self-advertise, eh. I know I have met truly some authentic, truly <clears throat> charismatic, full of gifts people. But you won't know them because they don't tell you. They use it for the good of others. Paul says not everyone gets the same gifts. Now, why are we so focused on it? Like healing and tongues. These gifts are not even the highest gifts. They're not. He says, all we need to do is strive after faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. This is the greatest. This is to be your focus. Charisms are good. But be careful. All have to be at the service of love, not you. You start getting into that trap, you're in trouble. Father Ripperger said he has done more exorcisms for people actively in the charismatic movement than any other. Now I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. There's so much other bad stuff going on and, and, and there's more possession because of the charismatic movement? He said, yes, because what's the worst sin? Pride. And the danger is you start to think it's you. I'm going to do this. Oh, come to me. I have a gift of healing. Father Thaddeus said, no, God does the healing. You pray for somebody to be healed. You don't pray for you to heal somebody. This is the danger. Now, am I taking away from this movement? Absolutely not. They're seeking the Holy Spirit, which is good. The charisms are good, but be careful. Again, they have to be at the service of love, not yourself. Here's another danger. I impart the Holy Spirit to you. No, you don't. Not even priests and bishops can impart the Holy Spirit to you. Only a bishop at the ordination of the priest through the laying on of hands can do that. But not to you and the laity. 
The Holy Spirit is given to you through the sacraments. This is why we need the Catholic Church. It's not just about singing and dancing, although that's good, that's supplemental. The core is your sacraments. It all goes back to the sacraments. That's how you get the Holy Spirit in baptism and confirmation. If you haven't been confirmed yet, please go get confirmed. Let's watch a quick video. This is very scary. This is a video of a bunch of children in a charismatic renewal, non-Catholic. It's a short, short clip, but this is very scary. Let's, let's take a watch. laying hands on him, screaming, screaming and crying. Okay, sorry. Okay, so we're back. Okay, sorry, that was quick. <laughs> it was a quick video. So it's very scary because here's a group of kids that are swarming over another kid, laying on hands, which I'm gonna talk about laying on hands in a minute here. You gotta be very careful of not letting a lay person lay hands on your head. No. And here these kids are laying their hands on, screaming and crying, and that's just dangerous. Now, I admire the fact that they're being taught to ask the Holy Spirit, but not in this way. How you bring the Holy Spirit to the children is baptism, uh, confirmation, as confirmed in eighth grade. Now they're doing it later, but still, this is important. Now, Father Thaddeus said it's about the spirit at work, not you. These kids were trying to say, we impart the Holy Spirit to you. No, they don't. That's not their fault. God bless these little kids. This is what they're taught. So be careful. I have the gift of healing, independent of what the spirit. Really? Have you discerned that? with a priestly spiritual director? Has a bishop sat with you and discerned that you do have the gift of healing? Or are you proclaiming you have the gift of healing? You know, the gift of healing really isn't in the Bible. You know what the Bible says is the greatest of the gifts? Prophecy. And you know what prophecy is? Teaching. You gotta know the truth. Paul says that's the greatest of the gifts. Now, if you say, well, I have this gift of healing independent of what the Holy Spirit really wants to do with you, it's no good. Unless you are a saint, do not tell me you're doing God's will when you haven't even discerned it with an authority such as a spiritual director, a priest, or a bishop. Now, if you don't want and don't have time to do that, that's okay, but don't go around self-proclaiming yourself the next healer at all the tent revivals. Gotta be careful. You know, I can be filled with good things, but that doesn't mean it's what God wants. You know, I asked Father Kaz, I told Father Kaz a year ago when he served as provincial, I said, Father Kaz, because we <laughs> gotta complain about me. And I said, Father Kaz, if you pull me out tomorrow, if you tell me tomorrow is my provincial that I never want you to do another talk, 
You are not to do another EWTN show. You are not to do another Explaining the Faith series. And you're not even to do another public event. I said, Father Kaz, if you tell me that, I am completely fine. Because I know it is God's will. We've got priests out there. These celebrity priests that are determining who's the Pope and who's not. You've got to be very careful of this. Am I saying that the Pope makes, doesn't make mistakes? Heck no. Pope is not infallible, except for in terms of faith and morals, in things declared in union with the college, the apostolic college of bishops, declared ex or declared ex cathedra. And so he could be wrong on immigration or, or, or politics or anything like that. I'm not saying the Pope is perfect. Of course not. But you got to be careful when you make statements like that. And so this is the important thing. Now, here's what we got to know. All right, we have to be careful. I, as I said, people, what about this? I'm getting a word from the Holy Spirit as they're laying their hands over you. They lay their hands over you. I'm getting a word of the, of, uh, or an image in prayer. And then they canonize it like it's from the Holy Spirit. You don't know. You don't know. That's why you stick with the sacraments and you discern with your spiritual director, a priest or a bishop. Now, some the church may approve a lay person being your spiritual director. That's okay. But they should not lay hands on you, and they cannot impart the Holy Spirit to you. The greater the gifts you have, the greater the risk of pride. This is, this is huge. This is huge. Self-confidence is the path to hell because it leads to pride. Now, I don't mean a good self-confidence like I'm not afraid of my own shadow or, you know, like me. I lack self-confidence when it comes to hearing confessions and closed doors. I get really scared because I have this fear that somebody's going to falsely accuse me. I have to get over that. So with God's grace and help, I want to have confidence that I can go in and say, Lord, okay, if somebody does falsely accuse me, your will be done. If it's for the salvation of souls, your will be done. I'm still struggling with that. I'm still struggling with that. All I keep going, Father Thad told me last night, he says, just keep remembering Jesus was falsely accused. And I'm like, I know it, but it's so hard. And so, so you have to be careful because it's the pride. So the danger is we can have gifts, but they may lead us to focus on ourselves. It's the same in this Catholic charismatic movement. And it got in trouble, some of it, with the, with the church. We cannot work independent of the church. It is good in itself but if it's predicated on the fact that, well, the Holy Spirit didn't exist here before we came, and now we're coming in as the charismatic movement, and now the Holy Spirit's with you, eh. okay, he, the Holy Spirit, came through the sacraments and the priest, not through some self-proclaimed person who says they hear words as they're laying their hands on you. Now again, I'm gonna to get to the positives of this, so please don't turn me off. 
Because, Father, I'm tired of hearing you criticize the charismatic movement. I'm not. I'm just giving you the concerns that are factual after talking to tons of theologians and priests. And then I'm going to go into the positives. I already have stated the positives. The positives are calling on the Holy Spirit. The positives are doing what the apostles did at Pentecost. Now, baptism of the Spirit is renewing our disposition to receive his gifts. This is a good thing. All right, the Holy Spirit gives them, but I have to be ready for them. This is why the Catholic Church doesn't let anybody just come up and receive Holy Communion. Oh, the church is hateful, discriminatory. No, the church just says you have to be ready. Do you know what you're receiving? Uh, yeah, it's a piece of bread. No. It's not just a piece of bread. You're not ready to receive it. Paul says if you receive this bread unworthily and it's not bread, when you re by the time you receive it, you bring condemnation on yourself. Why would we want to bring condemnation on somebody? The Holy Spirit is at work. This is good. Let's go to our next slide. But here is the key, everybody. And if you are part of a charismatic movement that does what I'm about to tell you, then it is rock on, 100% solid, and 100% good. If you say, Father, my charismatic movement group is good, I'm going to say, if you do what I'm about to tell you, and this is what you're doing, I support you 100%. I know this is what Father Anthony does. When he leads the diocese in the charismatic renewal, I know this is what he does, so I support him. What he's doing is awesome. But the greatest gift is not the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's the person of the Holy Spirit. If all you're praying for is the gifts, you're missing the boat. I want the gift of healing, Lord, give me the gift of healing. I want the gift of tongues, Lord, give me the gift of tongues. No. You pray for the Holy Spirit, the person himself. He's greater than the gifts. Because preferring gifts over God and God's will is a sin. I bet there's not one of you who has ever come to confession and confessed preferring the gifts of the Holy Spirit over the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I bet you many of us have. Until I fully truly understood this, I love the church. I try to give teaching. I try to teach the truth. I consider that a gift. But every day I beg the Lord to protect me, to let me speak the truth. I could care less about anything that comes to the Marian Fathers in terms of recognition, myself or Father Don or any of our priests, what our job is to do is bring souls to Christ. But we got to be careful that we don't think it's us who are bringing the souls to Christ. We're just tools. Jesus, God is bringing the souls to Christ. This is the key. If you're putting more emphasis on the gifts, I can heal, I can speak in tongues. This is a sin. If you're putting that ahead of seeking the person of the Holy Spirit. The sin of the charismatics is preferring the gifts of the Spirit over the Spirit himself. Does that make sense? This is very important. It's not, okay, here's basically the question, everybody. Is it enough for you to just have the Holy Spirit and no gifts whatsoever? Nothing. Is that enough for you? Sin is I want what God gives, but not what God is. 
I want what God can give me. I'm okay with having God himself or not. I, you know, I could give that or leave that. I just want the gifts God can give. Eh. No. The more you love the person of the Holy Spirit, the more you love God. You should be praying for the Holy Spirit. Every day when I pray, I say, Lord, please send down the Holy Spirit. I don't say, please give me the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That came at my baptism and confirmation. Now, I may pray that the Lord activate them in me, okay? But you got them at the sacraments. Whether they're sitting dormant in you is up to you. We need, Father Thaddeus was telling me, we've got to go back to John of the Cross. Without him, you can't have the charismatic movement. And many in the charismatic movement do not know about John of the Cross. Now, what is that? If there is people, there are some people who say this. If there's no consolation or gifts, then it's no good. Uh, nope. If there's no consolation or gifts and all you have is the cross, are you good with that? That's the teaching of John of the cross. That's why sometimes God allows the dark night of the soul. God allows it. We are filled with the Holy Spirit most when we have nothing, no gifts, no creature, no accolades. This is what poverty of the Holy Spirit is. The poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are filled with the Holy Spirit most when we have nothing, no gifts. So should we really be swarming the Lord with prayer requests for a bunch of gifts? Faustina never did. St. Faustina didn't want them. She's like, Lord, all I want is you. I don't want the gift of levitation. I don't want the gift of bilocation. I just want you. In fact, levitation and bilocation just got her complicated. It was a distraction. That's fascinating. So in order to possess God fully, you must have nothing. This is the meaning of Cana. The emptying of the jars is so that God can fill you with the wine of the Holy Spirit. This is fascinating. Not the gifts. You are, if you are truly poor in spirit, you're destined for heaven. John of the Cross said people can even give up everything, the whole world, but then they still hold on to the way they want to practice their faith. Um, you know, Father, I really can't pray the rosary with you because I only use the rosary my grandma gave me. That's the only rosary I use. Or, God bless the Latin Mass. I love the traditional Mass. I want to learn it myself. But I'm not going to Mass unless I can find an extraordinary form. Ooh, danger. Danger. I'm not telling anybody not go to the extraordinary form. I support the extraordinary form. I love the extraordinary form. I want to learn the extraordinary form. I want to learn the, mat, the Latin Mass. I want to do it. But do you think that I would say, if I can't find a Latin Mass, I'm not going to any Mass whatsoever? Oh, no. No. Yes, it's more reverent. Yes, we have positives. But you don't ever deny yourself Christ. No matter what the surroundings are. It's your soul. So does this make sense? It, it's just really important. All right? Now, we hold 
on to our own will, even in the spiritual realm. Remember, we are created for God himself, the possession of only God, not these gifts, even though they're good. I have to keep emphasizing that. If you can levitate, that's awesome. If you can talk in tongues, that's great. Just tell me what you said. Because Paul says if nobody can interpret it, it's gibberish. Okay? So even the graces of God are not as great as God. The gifts are grace, but even the graces are not God. Do you know, here I'm taking you back to seminary. Here's where I crack open my seminary books. I had a class in seminary about grace. That's how we get to heaven. But do you know that we have created grace and uncreated grace? All right? The very gifts that God gives us and what sometimes we may cling to, we got to be careful. They're great, but they're not as great as God. They are created. Anything created is not as great as the uncreated God. So these gifts, like levitation, bilocation, healing, talking in tongues, they are created graces. But God himself, the Holy Spirit himself, is uncreated grace. That's the kind of grace we should be striving for. The other grace is good. Sanctifying grace, even when you go to confession and you're in a state of grace, this is sanctifying grace, is an effect. It's not God himself. When you go to confession, you could have sanctifying grace. It's a gift of God. But if you're not paying any attention to God, you're not praying to God, your sins are technically forgiven, but you're not possessing God. Okay? God is the uncreated grace. Uncreated grace is the person of the Holy Spirit. He himself is the greatest gift. Not by location, levitation, healing, or tongues. People seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but what about the Holy Spirit himself? Sanctifying grace is oriented to possessing the person of the Holy Spirit, the uncreated grace, which is greater than created grace. I'm giving you third year major seminary right now. And it makes perfect sense. It's not bad to ask for those other gifts, but first seek the kingdom, God. The gifts I give are separate from me when I give them to you, okay? So if I give one of the brothers, now the new, one of the new postulants wants to go fishing. If I give him a new fishing rod, here's a gift. That gift is separate from me. Now is that fishing rod as great as me? Well, maybe if you catch a giant northern pike on it, it is. But no, it's not. It's separate from me. Okay, the gifts I give are separate from me and the one who gives them. If somebody only wants you for your gifts, but they don't want you, it isn't love. God is not a divine cashier. So this is what we got to be weary of in the charismatic movement. It's good if you do it the right way. Right in the Nicene Creed, the Holy Spirit is equally glorified as the Father and the Son. He's adored and glorified. Like the Father and the Son, He is adored and glorified. 
He has spoken through the prophets. So praise and adore him just like Jesus. The greatest gift in the world is just adore him. The human heart is the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. This is why the person, you're going you're gonna to be surprised by this one. This is church teaching. And this is why I'm writing my book on the Holy Spirit with Father Thaddeus. Please pray for me. I started it, stopped it, started it, stopped it, started it, stopped it. The person of the Holy Spirit is closer to you than Jesus. The person of the Holy Spirit, although they are all equal and one is, there are the other. But in a practical sense, the person of the Holy Spirit is closer to you than Jesus. He is the one through whom the mission of Christ was made present to the world. It is through him, remember, God the Father, the first great act of mercy, creation. God has already created you. That work is done. The second great act of mercy, redemption. Who redeemed you? God the Son. And in essence, that work is done. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. And in essence, his work is done. Now, he still leaves us his presence in the, Holy, in the Eucharist. But he ascended to the Father. It is finished. But then what happened? Come on. The descent of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the most active in the world today if we let him. Because the third great act of mercy and the greatest act of mercy is sanctification. To be made holy to be made a saint. And that is the job of who? The Holy Spirit. Now, is that job finished? Oh, no. Not by a long shot. Now, the Holy Spirit, people might be saying, well, where is he? He's sitting dormant in your heart. You got him at baptism. You got him at confirmation. What have you done with him since then? So now if you go to the charismatic movement and you want to be part of it and you want to say, Lord, I want to be united with the Holy Spirit. I want the gift to be the Holy Spirit himself in my life. Then you're on the right track. This is what Father Anthony does and this is why it's beautiful. But if you're running around telling everybody that you saw the Holy Spirit in your toast because he came to you because he wants you to change the world and I've had this. Mary has come to me and told me I am to change the world. No, Christ changed the world, and he does it through his church. You can be a messenger like St. Faustina, but you are not the redeemer. Okay? Through him, through the Holy Spirit, we have contact with the Word, the Son, and God the Father. But wait a minute, isn't Christ the mediator? What are you telling me now here, Father? The Holy Spirit? No, Christ is the mediator. Yes, Christ became the mediator, though, only through the power of the Holy Spirit who made him incarnate. The Holy Spirit is the key to everything. Yes, where the Father, the Holy Spirit is. Yes, the Father is. Yes, the Son is. They are all together. This is true. But it's the Holy Spirit whose work is yet to be completely finished. Now, in a sense, yes, God the Father is still creating every day. New life is born and all that. Absolutely. 
and the Son, he finished it on the cross, but he's still active in our lives. He's showing the wounds to the Father, but it is the Holy Spirit in sanctification to be made holy that is still not being done because we're not activating him. Christ became the mediator through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to our next slide. Within Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. Do you know that this is the image of divine mercy? What is the image of divine mercy? What's pouring out of the sacred heart of Jesus? The blood and the water. What is that blood and the water? It's the Holy Spirit. The church was born when Christ was pierced in the side and out flood blood and water. The church was born at Pentecost by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is being given to us by Jesus every time you look at that image. You know, it was funny. I was talking with Father Thaddeus about this yesterday. He says, never forget, the chaplet is praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's what the, oh, blood and water, which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus. It's a font of mercy for us. I trust you. It's pour this out upon us. John Paul II said, the Holy Spirit personifies and actualizes the divine attribute of mercy. This all ties together. Every time I do these talks and I go back to seminary and I speak with theologians and priests, I realize why I'm a Marian father. I, I, 100%. This little ragtag group that nobody would have expected in the world, God has chosen for a mission. Does that mean we have the gifts and we give it? No. It means God uses us as a broken tool. I am so broken that when people come, I get embarrassed when I receive such beautiful letters because I'm like, if you only knew how broken I am. I still struggle with impatience. I still struggle with gluttony. I still struggle controlling my thoughts and purity of intention. This, it, 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 we are all broken. But with we, if we empty ourselves like the wedding feast of Cana, like the jar, empty yourself and then let God fill you with the wine of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is the key. God created us. Jesus redeemed us. We have nothing without Jesus the Savior. But now we need the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to make us holy. So in that sense, the charismatic movement is important. We can't forget the Holy Spirit right on. We need to bring in the Holy Spirit right on. Just step out of the way. Let God use you. So when we are in need of mercy, we are not praying for something. Heal me. Give me the money so I can buy thy things and I can pay my bills. Please give me the car so I can get to work. This is good. These, these, are, these are fine. But when you're praying for mercy, you go above things. You're not praying for something. You're praying for someone. Jesus, the divine mercy. I bet none of you realize when you go to our website, our website not, is not divinemercy.com or divinemercy.org. It's the divine mercy. And Father Seraphim insisted on that. Even sometimes I'm like, why did he do that? <laughs> People always go to divinemercy.org. No, he insisted on the divine mercy because now we're talking about the person. 
Mercy itself, Jesus Christ. Not the, not the, the gift or the attribute of mercy. That's why we can have the feast of divine mercy. Naysayers, there's all those negative things on the internet. People are writing me and saying, Father, I can't follow divine mercy anymore because this is all negative. No. They say, well, you, we can't have a feast for the attribute of God. God's mercy. We don't have a feast for the omniscience of God. We don't have a feast for the omnipotence of God. He's all loving. He's all-knowing. All he's all-powerful. I say, absolutely, you're right. Well, then how can we have a feast for the mercy of God? It's an attribute. You cannot have a feast for the attribute of God. The feast of divine mercy is not for the attribute of God's mercy. It's called the feast of the divine mercy for the person, Jesus. Just like the sacred heart. Now, that is why we can't be upset if we don't get what we ask for. Because mercy is not about praying for something, even healing, or loved ones coming back to the church, as good as that is. Praying for mercy is praying for someone. Bring me Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. You need Jesus more than you need healing more than you need by location, more than you need transportation, even more than, than relationships with your loved ones. You need Jesus first. So if you ask for mercy, you'll get it. But you'll get it in the form of the person of mercy. Jesus, he's with you. If you invite him in, you're guaranteed every prayer is answered because if you pray truly the right way for mercy, he will come. This is amazing. Luke says the Father will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask in prayer, unlike the other Gospels. Someone in a state of grace could be filled with tons of gifts, but it depends on what the Holy Spirit wants to do with those gifts, not you. It's about the primacy. We need to have a relationship with someone before asking for gifts from them. Do you just go up to somebody on the street and say, will you give me $100? I mean, some do. But usually you got to have a relationship first. Have your relationship with Jesus. This is what Faustina, let's go to our next slide. Faustina had the gifts, but she didn't want them. She didn't ask for them. She wasn't happy that Jesus came to her. Can you imagine? After five minutes, I'd be like, Jesus, why come you're not coming back? <laughs> not Faustina. Because I would want the gift of consolation. Jesus, when you come to me, it makes me happy. Jesus is telling me, no, you need to be just as much faith-filled when all you have is on the cross with me. And so she got gifts like the stigmata. That's another gift. She got the gift of the stigmata. She didn't, she didn't ask for it. She was only looking for Jesus. All else was a distraction. Faustina prayed to know God and his will, to have a relationship with him, not all his gifts. The gifts are just icing on the cake. Please don't say to the bishop, I said the gifts are not good. The gifts are beautiful, but they come after you have the person. Just like in real life, if you're going to buy a diamond ring for somebody, I would guess you got to know them. If you're going to buy a diamond ring and give it to somebody, you probably are going to want to know them. And likewise, you're not going to be asking somebody to buy you a diamond ring if you've met them twice. Okay? Asking for gifts is not wrong. But you have to know God first. Then all the other charisms 
will fall into place. And they have to be at the service of charity. Charity. Please remember this. All right? Healing doesn't come through you or your gifts. This is a misconception. Jesus says we can pray for healing directly by invoking his name. You don't have to say, Lord, give me the power to heal. You say, no, Lord, you please heal. You see the difference? You invoke his name. You don't need the gift. I was blown away when Father Thaddeus said that. He says, I'm told before I had the gift of healing. He said, no. God heals. Sometimes he may use me, but God heals. If we possess a gift, it is good. But just pray for someone's healing directly from God, not from you. Jesus heals again, not us. The gift of healing is simply the way God works through you. Let's go to our next slide. It's not because of me. The best priest healers are that priest you see on your screen. What's that priest doing on your screen? He's walking around with the Eucharist in a healing service. There are some priests, and myself and I am included, I'm going to throw myself right under the bus. When I first started doing my missions years ago, I go out to California, and my healing service was laying hands on people. I never exposed the Eucharist. Then a couple years later, Jason, brother Jason Lewis came out with me. He says, what are you doing? I says, I'm healing people. <laughs> he, shook, he shook his head. He says, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. It's tonight at 7 o'clock. No. So he changed it. We started bringing out the Eucharist. So instead of laying hands, I started going around to each individual person and presenting the Eucharist to them and praising a prayer for them. Not that I heal them, but that Jesus heals them of any ills of the mind, body, or soul. And I heard Father Michael Kalea just did that last, last month. That he came up and he said, now you talk about humility. Father Michael Kalea is my provincial secretary in the province. And I brought him here for a reason. And when I heard that, I was like, that's the exact reason I brought him here. He said, I don't know anything about these services. He says, I haven't done a healing service, but all I know is God heals. And he brought out the Eucharist. There's the bells. <laughs> and he brought out the Eucharist. And he went to each individual person. He started praying that God is healing. Beautiful. It's not because of me. The priest heals the one. The best priest healers are the ones who lift the Eucharist. I don't have to lay my hands. I mean, I can. It's good. But healing depends on you. What did Jesus say in the gospel? With faith, you can move, you can move mountains. And, and nobody was healed because of their lack of faith. Jesus healed without even going to the house. Do you remember that? Remember the centurion's son? Or was it uh, the governor's son? And he said, please come to the house. Or no, he, he went up to Jesus and said, please heal my son. And Jesus said, I'll come. And he said, you don't have to. All you have to do is say the word. Jesus healed without laying his hands on that boy. Because Christ has that power. What matters is not the hands or hands or no hands. What matters is your faith and trust. As a priest, I do not let laity lay hands on my head. That is not a conceited thing. That has nothing to do that I think I'm better than somebody. No. This is 
laying hands on your head is an Episcopal gesture of authority that only a priest or a bishop has. If someone comes up and lays their hands on you, that can be a portal. If they are possessed or oppressed, it can be transmitted. Now, I'm not saying freak out now and say, oh my gosh, Father, somebody laid their hands on me last week. No, just be careful. Many times it can work, but all it takes is one time for it not to work. You know, I was in the parking lot, one of the best dioceses in the United States of America, Omaha. And I was in the parking lot. I went to the store because I was staying with the priest for like a whole week mission and wanted to go buy a few things at the grocery store. And I came out and there's a woman in the middle of summer in a black trench coat. And I'm putting my stuff in the back of the truck and she sees me and she says, um, you're a Catholic priest. I said, yes. She says, oh, wonderful. I need to pray over you. And she starts reaching over to my head. And at first, I, I was new in my priesthood. I, I wasn't sure. I don't want to ever offend anybody. I don't want to, but I will not sacrifice the truth for you. I don't want to purposely offend you, but I'm sorry. If it comes to the truth, that's actually love. So she starts reaching and I backed off. And she started coming again and she says, Father, I need to pray over you. I'm getting a word. I said, no, that's okay. I'm in my collar. She starts reaching and she's forcefully trying to get her hands on my head. I would not let her. And finally I put the groceries in. I got in the car and it was a long way into the store. I only looked away. I'm not joking for only a couple seconds. I looked back, she was gone. She vanished. So you just got to be careful. That's all. I'm not trying to freak anybody out, but just be careful. You know, a parent, can you lay your hands on the head of a child and bless them? Yes. Why? You have authority. That woman in the parking lot had no authority over my priesthood. Now, if the bishop would have come out of the door and said, you need some prayers, Father. Down I go. Lay your hands on me, Bishop. You have the authority. As a parent, you have the authority. You can bless your children. A husband can bless his wife. He has that authority. Otherwise, you ask God to bless them. Even when I had that video out there about blessing the image. It's about God doing the blessing. All right? He blesses the person, not us. Now, it may be okay if you have a real spiritual bond with someone. They're not your child. You still may be able to bless them. Just be careful. We shouldn't just want to have gifts to do good things. Your goal should be to be a saint. It is good that that I believe, or at least I hope, God is using me to save souls. I'm not saving the souls. God is. But somehow I feel I cooperated with his grace to partake in that. That's why God chose apostles. Now, do we bring, or do we save souls? Of course not. But I, I, I thank God every day for the gift to help him in bringing souls to him. But I shouldn't tell God how I want to do it. This is why I told Father Kaz, Father Kaz, if you pull me out tomorrow, 
and, I, and you say, I'm, you're never doing another EWT intro, you're never doing another talk, you're never doing another conference or a mission, that's God's will. This is why when a bishop tells you to do something as a priest that's not sinful, you do it. You've got to be careful for these priests. No, I'm doing it my way. Ooh. Danger. I don't need the bishop, however, to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. You don't need to call the bishop every time you go into a holy hour. Father Chris said that you need to come and bless me because I'm asking for the Holy Spirit. No. But you do need the bishop to tell you or your priest what you're to do with something publicly if you were given a public gift. Like if you were given the gift of teaching and you want to teach RCIA or to teach new people, you got to go through the priest or bishop. You, 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 you need confirmation from the authority of the church. This is why the USCCB has guidelines about prayer sessions and charismatic sessions. They're very thorough. Go to the website. If you're part of the charismatic renewal, read what the, the, the church says. The church cautions us. Now, smaller private groups you can do on your own. If you want to have your neighbor come over and read the Bible, don't worry. Don't write me a letter and say, oh, we're afraid now to talk about the Bible because what you said, Father Chris, no. But if it's a larger public group that you're using the word Catholic, you got to get permission because the church has to make sure you're truly teaching the Catholic Church. Teaching, you, you could have all the good intentions, but you may be mistakenly wrong. If you are using the word Catholic, you need permission from your pastor who is delegated from the bishop. Teresa of Avila, let's look at our next slide. She said, I would take a knowledgeable priest over any devout priest. How about that one? Whoa. I would take a knowledgeable priest over any devout priest. Why? Why would she say this? She said, stick to the priest who has the knowledge of objective truth. That's why I focus so hard in trying to teach you the truth, even if I have to offend you, because this is what I feel God is calling me to do. We want both priests to be both devout and, and knowledgeable and know the truth. I mean, I pray that I can be more like Father Kaz. I always laugh. You guys know this, that people write to us. With Father Kaz, we know we're getting love, and with Father Chris, we know we're getting the truth. We need both. Yes, we want both, but priests don't always have both. And she preferred knowing that she's getting the truth, which is interesting because otherwise a priest can tell you things are not a sin when they really are. Have you ever gone into a confession and you confessed something that you knew was a sin? I have when I was in college and I started, you know, farted coming back a little bit to my faith. I went in, I confessed things that I knew were sins. A priest, oh, don't worry about that. That's not a sin. And I remember saying, yes, it is, Father. It's in the catechism. I'm arguing with the priest and the confessional. It's like it's in the confession or it's in the, in the catechism. Some that are overly devout can confuse or mislead. God still is justice just as he's much mercy, but his mercy trumps his justice. How can the Holy Spirit bestow gifts? Can he do it? Can he give us gifts? Of course. 
Can you as laity get gifts like me as the, the, a priest? Yes, in many ways you can, but you must be under the proper authority. All right, charisms unhinged from charity or unhinged from authority, they will run amok. Okay, so I got to keep going here. So there was a great article by Tom Nash on Catholic Answers called The Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Real quick, he said, in general, the church has encouraged the charismatic renewal. So bottom line, Father Chris, do you support it? Yes, if it's done the right way. He said, the church encourages the charismatic renewal provided it is properly grounded in church teaching and subjective, submissive to church authority. That's the whole thing I've been telling you here today. If you're part of a charismatic movement that doesn't listen to your pastor, even though, unless he's asking you to do something sinful, which I doubt, then you're, 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 you're opening yourself wide open for the evil one. In 1998, John Paul exhorted Catholic charismatics to safeguard their Catholic identity, to maintain the proper relationships with their bishops and the Holy See. Unfortunately, in the past, enthusiasm that has been associated with this renewal often results in formally poorly formed Catholics who left the church because they look at their parish and said, it's dead. Now, I can kind of relate to that. I went back to one of the, my old parishes. Oh my gosh, it was dead. It was dead. But do you think I got up and left? Of course not. I sat right down. Why? Why? Because the ongoing reality of the Eucharist, it's not dead. Jesus is there. Other life-giving sacraments is in that parish. Even if you're the only one in the pew. Never say it's dead. Yes, it may appear to be dead, but Jesus is alive. Regarding spiritual gifts, the church makes proper distinction. In the catechism, it says, grace is first and foremost the gift of the Holy Spirit who justifies and sanctifies us. So the greatest gift is the grace of the Holy Spirit, meaning himself. The church adds in paragraph 2003 that graces are sacramental or special graces called charisms. That's what we've been talking about all day today, charisms, which in the Greek refers to gifts. These are the graces that the church calls the extraordinary gifts of tongues, and the greatest of these other gifts, not sacraments, is prophecy. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 4, which are always at the service, though, of sacramental grace. Thus, the common good of the church. What does that mean? Everything is under the sacraments. You want to get to holy and get to heaven? Start, and you can even stay with the sacraments. Everything else is icing. Other people, though, put the other things ahead of the sacraments. Do you know that I met people here at this shrine on a Thursday night that drove 200 miles to go to a healing mass, but they did not go that last Sunday to their own parish. But they drove 200 miles to come to a healing mass. There is no such thing as a healing mass being greater than any other mass. You come for Jesus. If we look at charismatic gifts in this light, we see the movement of the Spirit can work within the church according to God's will. This is his gift. At the same time, the movement recalls the subordination of the charismatic gifts to the gifts given through the sacraments. This is key. 
All right? Now, how are you to worship? Okay, I'm sorry I'm taking so long here. But how are you to, what is the style of worship for the charismatics? Okay, the church does not have universal guidelines on how you can worship, okay? Although there are general norms prohibiting from the faithful, including priests, to add or change anything in the mass. So if you start adding things to the mass, you can't do it, okay? You don't have the authority. This is... uh, um, Vatican II documents. On the other hand, charismatic proponents will argue that expressions of legitimate piety may be introduced into the Mass according to the Church's canonical tradition. This is Canon 22 and what comes after it. Now, they will note that praying with hands upraised. So you ever see people? Okay. Is this okay? Mm, let's talk about it. They will say that praying with hands upraised has a place in many masses at the Vatican. They see it at the Vatican and elsewhere in Rome, at conferences recognized and overseen by the Holy See, and that this pious practice is also biblically well-grounded. This is Psalm 28, Psalm 63, Psalm 134, Psalm 141. But you got to do it in the proper context. Are you praising God or trying to look like you're conducting a band? At the Our Father, when the priest reads the Our Father and you go like this, is that proper? Actually not. That's an Oran's position, a prayerful prayer of the priest position. So just little things like that. What about praying in tongues? I'm sorry, I'm so late here. All right, there's some debate on the authority of praying in tongues. Some refer to it as pious gibberish and distinguish it from praying in tongues from speaking in tongues that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, praying in tongues is actually the lowest of all charisms. Don't get discouraged if you don't do it. Paul says this. Why? Why does Paul say praying in tongues is the lowest of the charisms? Because no one understands it without an interpreter. He says this. You've got to have somebody who interprets it. Rarely do people have the gift of interpretation. So it needs to be thoroughly discerned. Unlike the other charismatic gifts, praying in tongues is difficult to authenticate. Father Ripperger, I told you I respect him. He says praying in tongues comes in three forms. The first is authentic of God. The second, surprisingly, is actually diabolical of Satan. And the third form, so the first comes from God, the second comes from the devil. Where do you think the third comes from? Yourself. You nailed it. That's where most of them come from. Authentic tongues has one, has one, one language and others will hear it in their own language. You know, I was at Medjugorje a few years ago. I just finished my my book with Father Jason about suicide, and I I was hearing confessions, and I came out of the confessional, and I was going to turn left to go down where the Eucharist adoration was, and something just caused me to turn to the right. There's a thousand people in front of St. James, and I saw this just nice, beautiful-looking lady. She's probably 28, all by herself crying, 
crying profusely. Nobody's even looking at her. It's like, wow, that's strange. So I went over to her and I said, are you okay? I, I didn't know where she was from. I mean, she, I didn't know, but I figured she didn't speak English. She'd tell me. And I said, are you okay? And she said, no. And I said, may I ask why? And she said, because life isn't worth living anymore. And I just finished the book on suicide with Father Jason. And she says, it's not worth living anymore. Nobody loves me. And I spent the time with her, 45 minutes, convincing her that the most important one of all loves her, and that's God. He wouldn't have created her, and he wouldn't allow her to stay in existence if he didn't love her. And so I went through the whole principles of the book and everything. And, and so when we finished, after 45 minutes, I said to her, I said, you know, you, you're an amazing person. She was from the Ukraine. No, Ukraine. Everybody yells at me for saying the. That's one where you don't use the word the. She was from Ukraine. This was before the war began. And I, as we were wrapping up, I said to her, I said, may I ask? I said, you know, you're, you're from Ukraine. And she says, yes. And I said, wow, you have so much to live for. You're so smart. You, you, you're, you're pretty. You, you're kind. And I said, and you speak perfect English. And she goes, what, Father? I said, you, yeah, you're from Ukraine, but you speak perfect English. She goes, Father, I don't speak English. She goes, I only speak Ukrainian. I said, well, I don't speak Ukrainian. <laughs> I says, I'm speaking to you in English. She says, no, you're not. You're speaking to me in Ukrainian. I'm talking to you in Ukrainian. I said, you're talking to me in English. <laughs> and then I realized, oh my. Praise be to God. This is true speaking in tongues. I didn't even know it. That's the only time in my whole life I've ever spoken tongues. And so we have to have this important understanding. Now, Father Ribbinger said that this is the problem because many exorcisms, he said, are the result of the charismatic movement where people were wrapped up in Protestantism. He said that slain in the spirit is not real. It's psychological. Also, Carl Keating of Catholic Answers agrees with them. They're both against it. But, you know, i got to say this. However, Father Goring, you know he's one of my favorites. Matt Frad of uh, Pints with Aquinas, he's excellent. Ralph Martin, one of the men I admire most, I read all his books. They're all in favor of it. So I think it's, again, what side you're looking at. How are you doing it? Okay. And so this is very, very important. Praying in tongues is described by charismatics as a gift that most people are open and can receive it. In any event, you shouldn't feel compelled to have to seek it or display it as a gift. Just let God do it. The only gift the Bible says to pray for is the gift of prophecy. That's teaching. Teach your loved ones about the faith. All right, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, whoever speaks in tongues builds himself up, but he who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 22 in 1 Corinthians 14 says, tongues are a sign not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. Whereas prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. 
So prophecy is even greater. Volume, or verse 39 says, brothers, strive eagerly to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything must be done properly and in order. Now I have to skip because I'm running out of time the next video. Basically I had a video of this great priest that was talking about the different kinds of speaking in tongues. Um, If I can finish in the next nine minutes, I'll come back to it, but I may not. All right, what about healing? Healing. This This is a gift. Officials of the Roman Curia and representatives of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, they agreed that the gift of healing should never be seen as your personal property of any individual or any movement even. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit of the universal church. Very important. Ratzinger said, the recent multiplication of public healing masses or services, sorry, not masses, services, that was before this time a rarity in the church raised the need for careful discernment. If you're putting a healing service ahead of the mass, eh, no. Archbishop Tarsicio Bertone, in any healing service, the prayer should be respectful of regular liturgical guidelines. The services should avoid rousing emotions. Ooh, and encountering mob behavior. (laughs) He voiced concern that, quote, the phenomenon of crowds that exasperated because they have not seen a miracle end up putting excessive confidence in practices such as imposing the laying on of hands. So if you go to some service and they don't see miracles and they start forcing them laying their hands on your head, eh, He reminded the group that the most serious illness of all that needs to be healed is sin. Cardinal John Stafford, the president of the Pontifical Council for the Laity, assured the charismatic leaders that the Vatican does not discourage their movement. He wants to support it. But he said that charismatic groups should be careful to work within the framework provided by the parishes, the priests, and the diocese. All right, so, man, oh, I am really running out of time. Sorry, I'm going to go through this pretty quick. There's an article out there called Ever Heard of the Catholic Charismatic Movement? This is by Carl Keating. He pointed out a lot of concerns, but then I'm going to answer it with somebody who answered his article with the positives. He said, with the aftermath of the Reformation, enthusiasm caused a distrust of religious truth unless it was confirmed by the emotions. Love is not an emotion. Emotions go up and down like this. Started with the Quakers and the Methodists among the Protestants and with Jansenists among Catholics. No emotional response is needed for affirmation of the truths of the faith. Let me repeat that. No emotional response is required for affirmation of the truths of the faith. If you don't want to jump up and down in that pew and wave your hands in the air and pass out, you're okay. You're okay. Carl Keating said the popes never endorsed a notion that it was required to have baptism in the spirit, nor did they speak that you should strive to pray in tongues. 
He said the Catholic charismatic movement seemed to enjoy its highest period in the 1980s. Some prominent charismatic groups, such as the Word of God community in Ann Arbor, that's where Ralph Martin is. I admire that guy. Anything he says or does, I listen. But they began to have a few difficulties. The problem seems now, or the, the movement now seems to be slowing down. Some say that this rise and fall is because it relies on emotion. And what do emotions do? They go up and down. All right? So emotions can only be maintained for so long. Now, to answer Carl Keating, this Tom Poncheck, also of Catholic Answers, wrote back, the Catholic charismatic movement is alive and bearing fruit. Last two paragraphs. Sorry. Now, he says that Keating falsely places the Catholic charismatic renewal within the context of enthusiastic religion. And there's nothing wrong with enthusiastic religion. What I just said about if you don't dance and sing and fall over, are you okay? Yes. But if you do get emotional, is that okay? Yes. Yes. And he described the problem is this distrust of religious truth unless it is confirmed by emotions. He said, that's not us. We don't do that. So I think we're talking about two different groups of charismatics here. He said the church rightly condemned those as heretical. He points out that the charismatic renewal has the support of the church hierarchy and faithful theologians. Does this renewal incorporate emotions in response to the Holy Spirit? Yes he said, and it should. So Carl Keating is saying it shouldn't. This guy's saying it should. I believe it can. <laughs> See the difference? One says no, one says it should. I said it can if it is done properly. We are created emotional beings, and Scripture's full of appeals to come from your heart, not just your head. But emotions can be misled or mis manipulated. Yes, they can. But then again, so can your intellect. I can teach you the truth and you could still go make a mistake. I make a mistake with the truth. They have been far more heresies, though, regarded to the intellect than the emotions. And so today, let's go to our next slide. The renewal can be found in more than 200 countries with more than 160 million members. Look at that picture. 13% of all Catholics, especially in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. You know who else supports it? You know who else supports the Catholic charismatic, charismatic movement? Scott Hahn. Anything Scott Hahn supports, I support. Peter Kreft, Kreft, my favorite philosopher. They've been involved in it. But I bet you they don't support it if you do it the way I described earlier, where you think it's all about you. Bet you they don't. They support focus on the Holy Spirit. So do I. The renewal has enjoyed support of popes. The Vatican has hosted several international gatherings on the renewal. Let's go to our next slide. Here's what John Paul II said in 1998. This was the unforgettable experience of Vatican II, which I know somebody disagrees with. So this may not be a good thing for some of you. Some of you may point to this and say this is the problem of Vatican II. Anyway, he says, during which, under the guidance of the same spirit, the church rediscovered the charismatic dimension as one of her constitutive elements. It is not only through the sacraments and the ministrations of the church that the Holy Spirit makes holy the people. He also distributes special graces among the faithful at every rank. 
makes them fit and ready to undertake various tasks and offices for the renewal and building up of the church. Okay, notice this is Lumen Gentium. Notice what he said. He did not say they are equal to the sacraments. He said the Holy Spirit can work even outside of the sacraments. He can, but the sacraments are still the way you get the Holy Spirit. Next slide, real quick. Last slide, Pope Benedict gave a very supportive decision on this renewal. He said, quote, in the heart of a world full of rationalistic skepticism, a new experience of the Holy Spirit has come about, amounting to a worldwide renewal movement. What the, whole, the New Testament describes with reference to its charisms as visible signs of the coming of the Holy Spirit is no longer merely ancient past history. This history is becoming a reality today. It is evidence of hope, a positive sign of the times, a gift of God to our age. Pope Francis called the renewal a current of grace in the church and for the church. Paul VI said it is a chance for the church to survive. Pope John XXIII invited the entire church to pray for a new Pentecost before Vatican II. Now, some of you might say, Father, the problem with what you're reading is those are all post-Vatican II popes. And that's why I have a problem with the charismatic movement. Well, to me, it's still the church. And so we have to listen. The last three popes have maintained the same priest and preacher in the papal household. His name is Father Canta La Mesa. And he has written extensively in favor of this renewal. But I want to finish with this. I'll be two minutes over. Baptism is an unreleased sacrament. What do I mean? Baptism of the Spirit is not recent. It's not an invention of Pentecostals or even the Charismatics. It comes directly from Jesus. I don't mean you have to go do baptism in the Holy Spirit the way that the, the charismatic movement defines it, but you must do it in the way Jesus defined it. Acts chapter 1 verse 5. John baptized in water, but not many days from now you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This we need. We know what happened not many days from that moment. Pentecost. The expression baptism in the Spirit, therefore, on one hand, refers to what happened at Pentecost. On the other hand, what happens at your baptism? We could speak of it in terms of a new Pentecost for the church or a renewal of your own baptism, but not from you, from God. The fruit of the sacraments depends wholly on divine grace. And however, this divine grace does not act without you agreeing to it. You have to consent. You have to say yes. You have to agree. Baptism is truly a rich collection of gifts and that we received at the moment of our birth in God. This is critically important, but it is a collection that is still sealed. And if we don't use it, if we don't use what we possess and confirmation doesn't unleash it, we're like that man who buried his talents. All right, the environments in which many children grow up today do not help. They do not foster the faith. They're made fun of. The same with the family. Your own family criticizes you. I'll never forget. I was going to a, a family dinner the uh, years ago when I was in seminary. And the first thing my mom and dad told me is when I get there, don't force my religion on them. That's all changed. Now they see the beauty of it. So to finish, 
It's the same with our family or your children's school or most of all our society. The only time God's mentioned on television is when it's a swear word. How, how wrong is that? The only time God's name is mentioned on television when it's an in vain. And so if it's done right, it is not the brothers and sisters who confer the Holy Spirit on you. That's why the laying of the hands by the lady, just be careful. Yes, they can pray over you. This is good. Or if they ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you, that's good. But if they say, I'm bringing the Holy Spirit upon you, run. Rather, they invite the Holy Spirit to come upon a person. This is good. No one can give the Holy Spirit, not even a pope or a bishop has said, other than ordination, because no one possesses the Holy Spirit. So really, not even the bishop. At ordination, the bishop's inviting the Holy Spirit to come into the priest. Only Jesus gives the Holy Spirit, and that is the image of divine mercy. People do not possess the Holy Spirit. Rather, we are possessed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Hallelujah. Sorry, everybody. I went so long. God bless you. And if you have any questions, write it. I read all the comments on the YouTube. We hope that you'll be able to join us as we continue these Explaining the Faith talks. And last thing, I'm going to have Mark put up on the slide. Become a Marian helper. Join us at micprayers.org. Very simple. Doesn't cost anything. Only takes a couple minutes. Visit us, MIC, for Marians of the Immaculate Conception, micprayers.org. Become a Marian helper, and then you are entitled to the graces of all our prayers, and I pray every day that the Holy Spirit comes down upon all our Marian helpers. God bless you. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. <laughs> Even though it's not mass, you can go out and preach. God bless you. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, everybody. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.